This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That joined on Football CFB today by Rob Jones, known to many, um, up here in Scotland for his time at Hibernian, where they won the, the Scottish League Cup, but also had a very good career in England, playing across multiple levels, whether that be in the Football League um, or the, in, even the, the Championship as well. First of all, Rob, thanks for joining me. No, no, pleasure. Uh, it's always nice to, to find time to talk about football and, uh, career, and my career gone by. The first thing I want to ask you is, you're well known to, to most people as a centre-half, but am I right in saying you started as a striker? Yeah, <laughs> all that uh, many years ago. Uh, yes, I was uh, I was a schoolboy at York City, at Nottingham Forest, and I had a little spell at Man United when I was a kid uh, as a centre-forward. Uh, I was quite prolific, to be honest. wasn't the tallest. Uh, the growth spurt didn't come to 15, 16, so... Uh, I was quite quick, as people might might not not believe, but I was quick when I was I was young, and uh, I knew where the goal was. But thankfully, that's con- continued from the from the defensive unit more more so. So uh, no, I was I was a centre forward till I was about fifteen, sixteen ish, and then uh, I slowly worked my way back towards the goal. You mentioned the fact you worked your way back towards the goal. You mentioned your youth career there, Forest, Man United and York. What was it like playing football growing up and who were your footballing heroes when you were a kid? Uh, no, football was just, uh, like every young kid is a passion. Uh, I never went anywhere without football at my feet or in the, under my arm. So uh, I used to spend many hours after school uh, just on the, on the backfield, just kicking the ball around, playing football with my mates, whoever wanted to come and play. Uh, I know these, those days have, 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 have more unfortunately changed. Uh, it's more structured now, but no, uh, it, it was just, you wanted to play in the FA Cup final, you wanted to play in the World Cup, you wanted to be the best player ever. Uh, and being a Sheffield Wednesday fan, uh, my hero is David Hurst. Uh, a lot of people won't know who David Hurst is because he's been long, long since retired, but uh, he was a very prolific goal scorer at Sheffield Wednesday, the, the famous number nine. Uh, Played a few times for England, but uh, I had the pleasure of meeting him when I was on Wednesday. Uh, we had a, a question-answer evening with with him, so uh, it was great to actually sit next to the guy that you'd, you'd idolised all your life. You mentioned the fact that you, you meet your heroes. We talked about being a striker, working your way back. Something that I find really interesting about yourself is, we know about your career in the senior game, but you played semi-pro, sort of non-league level, for quite a few years. What was that like and did you ever, was there ever a point where you were worried that you wouldn't then go on to, to play league football? Oh, very much so. Uh, it's a very, very difficult environment and uh, world to get into. Uh, and once you're in that world, it's even more difficult to stay in. Uh, I started uh, my semi-pro at Whitby Town. Uh, didn't go greatly well. Uh, I'd actually gone there as a centre forward and for some reason the, the, the manager thought I was a centre midfielder. Which didn't didn't bode well to me uh, staying there for very for very long. Uh, 
I moved out of there and went to North Alton, uh, which is where begin to, began to hone my position as a half, really. I started off as a midfielder. A conversation went very quickly from a midfielder into centre-half, and that's where I I continued. I went to Spennymoor. Uh, I ended up being a player manager at Spennymoor towards the end of my second season there. Uh, unfortunately, we got relegated on the last day of the season. But uh, from then on, it was it was an upward spiral. Uh, there was clubs interested in, in me that year. Nothing really came from it. And I went to Gateshead, uh, and I didn't look back from from there really. Uh, Gateshead, great football club, uh, very passionate people, uh, great coaches, great players to play with, and then from there it just snowballed. Uh, there was clubs I knew clubs were watching. You, you, you hear sniffs and and this that and the other, and players in the dressing room say this that and the other, but you never really, you not don't really try and focus too hard on 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 it because it sometimes affects you. But uh, no, I. Was, as time progressed, I think I was 23 at the time and uh, I think I was halfway through the season and I'd given myself six months. Uh, if I didn't make it into the into the programme in the next six months, then I'd made a decision I was going to come, become a police officer. Uh, that's what I was going to do. At that present moment in time, I was working in a school as a, as a PE teacher uh, and it wasn't really what I wanted to do. Uh, obviously, being a footballer was the, the, the be-all and end-all, but uh, not everybody can do that. But uh, yeah, that was my, at 23, I'd made a conscious decision to say, to stay at the semi-pro and become a police officer. Uh, and thankfully, I think once I made that decision, that actually helped me because it gave me a focus on on just committing to, to one thing and one thing only. And thankfully, I think it was only really a month after that that I got the phone call from uh, Carlton Palmer and uh, I went to Stockport County and the, the rest is history, as I say. Absolutely, and before we come on to Stockport, I want to just ask you the obvious question about playing at sort of non-league level. The the stereotype is that it's very physical, very direct. Was that the case, and was that something that you felt suited you at the time, especially with your height? Let's just say I loved it. <laughs> uh, yes, very physical. Uh, there was a lot of uh, ex-pros who were playing in in, in the the, the Unibond Premier, as, as it was called then. Uh, so. It was very, uh, very technical, very tactical. Uh, players knew how to get away with things. Players knew how to do things, and it was a great learning curve for me. Uh, I remember my second year, uh, Steve Agnew, who was now the assistant manager at uh, at Newcastle. He came and played for about six months, and what I learned off him was was incredible in that short space of time. We only trained once a week. We played once, sometimes twice a week, and the, just the way the mannerisms of the individual. Uh, how professionals actually do go about the work, how professionals look after themselves, like the warm-up, the warm-down, all that sort of stuff. So it was great and invaluable for me to learn from from people such as him. Uh, and we had like-minded players. Uh, there was players that we, I think we had three or four on loan from the from Sunderland Academy, and, uh, Newcastle Academy, which you listen to their conversations and what they do day to day and they pick up little things. Uh, and thankfully, I, I kept what I wanted and, and needed, used what I had to, uh, and it got me to where I wanted to go. You mentioned the fact it gets you to where you want to be, and that's playing in the Football League. You mentioned the fact Stockport give you that chance. You talked about Carlton Palmer there. Very big character. What was he like to work with? Uh, he, was a, he was a funny character. Uh, another one of my idols, because obviously Sheffield Wednesday legend. I uh, watched him from the terraces when I was a kid, so quite surreal to, to actually meet him and have a conversation with him first and foremost. 
but no, a lovely guy, really nice guy. Uh, I think he was a bit of a bit of a frustrated coach. I think he wanted players to do things that really were over and above what they they could do. Uh, but uh, I will ever be in, forever be in debt to him because he's the one that uh, that started this rod, this ball ball rolling, uh, and I'm forever thankful thankful for that. In terms of Stockport, coming from Gateshead to Stockport, was there a big difference in terms of standard? Um, and by that, I mean on the match day and the training sessions, was there a difference or was it maybe not as big a jump as you thought? It was difficult for me because uh, I remember I, the first week I went, I, I trained Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Uh, and by Friday, I was like a tin man. Uh, I'd never trained every day at, at that intensity, that level uh, in my whole life, so it took a little bit of of getting used to uh, the physical side, the fitness side. I thought I was fit, uh, but until you go into this, these environments, doesn't you don't really find out what level you what you're actually at. Uh, thankfully for me, uh, because I signed after the trans- transfer deadline, I could only play in games where either Stockport County weren't in any any danger of going up or down or the team we were playing against weren't going up or down. And that never came to fruition. So I never played, I think I signed in the April. And actually I signed April the 1st. Uh, and I never got to play a first team game. I trained and I played reserves, which helped me massively. Uh, I think I played six or seven reserve games. I went and watched the first team games when we were away. The, the manager introduced me to players and into the way things happen at football club, professional football clubs, which helped me invaluably. Uh, I think... If I'd have been thrown straight in the deep end, who knows what would have happened. In terms of making that sort of league debut, what's that sort of situation like? Do you just take it on as another game or is there added pressure? Uh, well, it, the, the, the league debut was the first game of the season against Wickham away. Uh, I didn't know I was playing until probably an hour, an hour and a half for the game, which probably helped. Uh, what didn't help is that I was replacing the then captain. <laughs> Uh, he was on the bench and I was in his position, which I don't think went down very, very well with with a few. But it is what it is. It's uh, you've got you've got to embrace these opportunities. Uh, you can't dwell on them. You cannot worry about them. Uh, an opportunity was given to me, and if I thought about what other people thought or felt or did, then it would have affected me. Uh, I've worked my probably the last four or five years to get to that point, and that point finally came. Uh, I think I got my other match that game. I made my home debut the week after and scored my first ever league goal. So uh, to start it, it started off really, really well. And I think uh, if it had continued that way, it would have been great. But it got to a point where, again, fitness fatigue, mental fatigue catches up on you because it's intense. Uh, and I think until you go in that environment, you don't realise how, how intense it actually is. You mentioned the intensity and you had Carlton Palmer as your manager then. You had Sammy McElroy comes in, a very big character. What was he like to work with? Uh, I think from, from very early on, I think I realised that Sammy was wanting to go in a different, in a different direction. Uh, I think I played the first three games under Sammy, then I, I was left out of the squad completely. And then I think I played the final game of the season against Bournemouth, I think it was Bournemouth away. Uh, where we needed a point, uh, came off the bench and I played really, really well that game. But the writing was on the wall there. I think Sammy wanted his his kind of players, his own players, and I wasn't in the, in the plans for that. And it, it happens at football clubs, you just get on with it. Uh, and thankfully, 
through a friend of a friend. I got the a trial at, at Grimsby whilst I was still at Stockport. Uh, and then offered a deal at uh, Grimsby. Excuse me, dealt with all was what was needed to do at Stockport and moved on. Uh, and I think that six months previous to that, I think I learned an awful lot about myself, uh, about who, who Rob Jones actually is. Uh, the mental toughness side of, of me came to the fore uh, because it's it's a difficult world and you've got to look after yourself. Yes, it's from the outside looking in, it looks like it's the best job in the world and it is the best job in the world. But it's only the best job in the world when things are going well and things are going right. Uh, when things aren't going well, things aren't going right. It's uh, a lonely, lonely place. Uh, I know in, the, in, the, in football now and in sport, we talk about the, 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 the mindset of, of players, the what we've gone through now is, is a difficult period in time and some players are str- really struggling. Uh, so it's, it, it, you've got to go through sometimes a bit of adversity before you come up to the other side. Definitely adversity, as you've said, is something that every sort of every player, no matter what level they play at, goes through at some point in their career. You mentioned the move to Grimsby. It's Russell Slade, who's the manager. A big character, managed obviously late in Orient and, thing, and teams like that over the years. What was he like to work with? Because he seems like a, a kind of chirpy character. He was a fantastic guy, uh, and I still speak to him today. So uh, I think that says an awful lot about the, the man himself. Uh, he was he was great with me. He brought me in. He uh, he said I would play. Uh, he nurtured. He helped. Uh, I actually moved to Grimsby, which did help. Uh, the the travelling was cut down to a minimum, uh, but. No, he, he was brilliant. The way he did things, uh, the way he behaved, his man management was fantastic. Uh, he knew what to say in the right right place at the right time. Uh, again, the season started really well. Uh, and then I got an injury. I did my knee, so I needed an operation. So I had an operation and I didn't really play until the back end of the season. I think I played the last five, six games on the bounce. Uh, that was only on a one-year deal. So I'd put all my eggs in one basket. I'd moved across to Grimsby, I'd, I'd done everything I needed to do and I could have found myself out of a, out of a job uh, in, that, in that summer. Uh, but he said he kept faith in me, uh, he, he looked after me, he offered me a new one-year deal, which I'd want, to be fair, I wasn't expecting. And uh, thankfully, uh, we, we as a group uh, evolved that year and we got to the playoff final. Uh, Russell moved on, I moved on, but uh, no, he was, he was invaluable to, to how, I, how I was in that, that second season because it's always nice and uh, beneficial when you know that someone uh, sees something in you and, and wants to help and wants to promote and, and that's just what he did. You mentioned the, the season you get to the playoffs, a very good season for the club and yourself. One of the big moments that season was playing against Tottenham in the League Cup. What was it like testing yourself against players from the Premier League? Well, it was, it was quite uh, a subdued atmosphere. Uh, I remember, I remember that vividly we trained on the pitch the day before, uh, went through shape and whatnot, uh, and the gaffer brought his, his whiteboard out, as he, as he normally does, and we all thought he was going to name the team, and what he did is he named Tottenham's team, uh, and he told us just about how good every individual player was. Uh, and, and basically, he uh, he relaxed us all because we knew from then on the pressure was all on Tottenham. Uh, Tottenham weren't going to be want to come to to Grimsby Town on a on a cold Tuesday night. So uh, under the, 
under the uh, the lights and on the TV, which is always a is a difficult one for for these these pros. But no, it was it was a really relaxed atmosphere. He created that really relaxed atmosphere and an atmosphere of let's just go and show these people what we can do. Irrelevant of who we're playing against, how good these players actually are. And on that evening, I thought we were we were magnificent from start to finish. Uh, as you say, magnificent from start to finish. You win the game. What was it like in the dressing room after that game, having caused a cup upset? Well, I think the chairman was the first one in. <laughs> uh, I think I was last. I think I had to do a little bit of press or something. So I was last in. And uh, no, I mean, when you win a game as such as as like so that you 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 beat Tottenham at home, which no one expects you to expects you to do. Uh, it's an encumbrance of. Uh, all the hard work that you've done, not just in the week leading up, but in your whole career, because not everybody gets to play against your Tottenham, your Newcastle, your Man United, your Arsenal's week in week out. And for us, that in that competition, that was that was our cup final. Uh, and I think all the pressure of, of being a professional footballer, playing in that environment at that stage, uh, is a is a can be released when you come back in the dressing room, uh, because not many people see that side of it. So I think it was it was quite boisterous to say the least. <laughs> you you talked about the fact that you got to the playoffs and it was a sort of mixed set of emotions. Having a good season to get to the playoffs was obviously the positive, but the the end result in the playoffs was was a wee bit of a a negative. Describe what the playoffs are like to be involved in. Uh, well, I missed the first leg. My first boy was was born at uh, halfway for the first half. So I missed the first leg away. The second leg, I started the game and came off because I, I split my, my face. Uh, I think I had 10, 11 stitches. So I'd only played half an hour of the, the, them two legs. Uh, thankfully, we got through into the final uh, against Cheltenham, but uh, I started the final. Yeah. I think there were those murmurings around the club about how the this player was going there, that player was going here, this was happening, that was happening. So I don't think that had a, had a great effect on, on, on the cup final. I had an awful cup final. Uh, I'd made two mistakes very early on. I tried to head the ball back to the goalkeeper from 40 yards. And I think the boy got in twice. Thankfully, he missed both times. But uh, we, we weren't at our best that day. Uh, and I don't think Chapman were at the best that day. But uh, it's a lottery. The, the playoffs are a lottery. And... It's it's a very difficult one to try and uh, pinpoint who will win win it, who won't win it. Throughout that season, we'd been in the top two for a, a lot, long, long time. So I think the expectation was was on us more than any others. But we to get we got beat one 0 and it was probably one of the lowest days of of my football career. From the low of, of that, you you then get the chance to sign for Hibs up in up in Scotland, a massive club in Scotland. Tony Mowbray was the manager at the time. What was it like joining Hibs? Because, as I say, in Scotland, they're a massive institution. I knew he'd been to a few of our games. So you, you hear things and you see things and people tell you things. So I, I knew he'd been to a few of our games. Wasn't so sure whether he was, it was at our games to watch me or somebody else, but I knew he'd been to a few games. Uh, Tony, obviously, is a, is a friend of mine now. I see him quite often because we don't live too far away from each other. Uh, but... I think once that uh, the cup final had ended, the the journey on the way home was a long one from back from Cardiff. Uh, but I think uh, discussions were had begun uh, between the clubs at that point. 
uh, with regard to to me moving from uh, from Grimsby to Hibs. Uh, Hibs, as you said, is a is a massive club, not just in Scotland but in Europe. It's a massive club. Everybody knows who Hibs are. Uh, I didn't realise how big the football club was until I I stood outside the the reception doors uh, when I arrived to to go through my medical. Uh, but it's just you take things in your stride as a footballer. You try not to think about too many different things and the parameters of this and parameters of that. You try not to think of how big a football club is that you're actually going to because you can get uh, carried away with your emotions and your thoughts and your thinking. So for me, it was just business as usual. I'd moved from Grinsby. Yes, I'd moved for quite a lot of money at, at that point. Uh, but uh, I trusted myself. I backed myself. And... Uh, that year went extremely well, even though I only had, I think it was a week pre-season away from football because of the, the playoffs and then obviously the European campaign. So uh, it, was a, it wasn't seamless. It was difficult. It was fraught. I just had Ethan, my youngest boy, was I think he was six days old, six weeks old, sorry, when we moved up. So uh, it was difficult, uh, but thankfully we got through it. In terms of um, yourself and uh, with Hibs, how did you find settling into Scotland? Quite easily, to be honest. Uh, we lived in Leith for, I think it was two months, whilst the house was getting built. So we got to uh, got to sample the Scottish, the Scottish way, the environment, uh, what actually Hibs means to the people of Edinburgh, uh, because now you start, start to be getting noticed by different people when you're out in coffee shops and restaurants and things like that. So uh, I think over time you, you realise how big the the club actually is and because he was a player in a bubble uh, and you, the bubble is just purely football uh, so no it was it was a it was a great a great start to to life at, at Hibs uh, I remember the European ga- game at home when we we lost I think it was the second leg I scored my first goal so uh, it's it always it's always easy way and you get onto, off to a good start uh, but no it's for me I was still on a high because I, I, I had a, me and my wife had had a boy uh, who was only six, seven, eight weeks old. So uh, the family environment was tight knit, and uh, we just took it in our stride. And it was it was nice to to be a part of of that that specific time. In terms of that season at Hibs, it was ultimately a very successful season. Before we talk about the season as a whole, when Tony Mowbray leaves to take over West Brom quite early on. With him being the manager that brought you in, how do you feel at that point? Uh, I think you have mixed emotions. I think, one, you, you, you are pleased for the manager uh, to get the recognition that he deserved uh, to move to, to where he, he, wanted, he wanted to go. And for him to, as he would say, move his career onwards in an upward spiral. Uh, Secondly, from my point of view, Blasley or not, I didn't really worry about me. Uh, he'd been there three months. Uh, I remember our second game of the season was uh, Kilmarnock away and I gave a penalty away against uh, Naismith when I just widely lunged at the boy in the middle of the box and looked like uh, Bambi on the on ice, as some would, would say. Uh, so in that three months, I'd come an awful long way. Uh, I'd cemented myself as, as the number five in, in, that, in that squad. 
and I was happy. I was comfortable, uh, not concerned whatsoever. Uh, but when a manager does leave for whatever reason, whether it's a good reason or a bad, bad reason, it, it always leaves a, uh, a feeling and a, and a taste in the mouth that you don't really like. But from my point of view, it was just business as usual. I was an employee of a Burnham football club. I wasn't an, empl- an employee of Tony Br- Mowbray. So uh, it was me just a case of I'm getting on and doing what I'm doing regular. You mentioned the fact about getting getting to play regularly and, and getting to play well. I want to ask you about some of the big characters you played with in that team because you look back at that Hibs team and you think Scott Brown was there, obviously now the Celtic captain. You had Kevin Thompson, who ultimately went on to play for Rangers. Um, you had the two Moroccans and Zamama and Benjamin, who were great players, Stephen Fletcher. And you had Michael Stewart, who we know is a big character as well. What was the dressing room like and what were all those players like? This one, this one was great. Uh... I think uh, the, the one of the main ones you missed off there is uh, Guillaume Boozlin. Yeah, uh, uh, he was he was a character, a very laid back character. Uh, everything on his own time, but probably the the best first touch I've ever come across in my whole life. Uh, what he could do with the ball was was mesmerising at times. Uh, you had David Murphy, who's from my neck of the woods, who doesn't live far from me now. Uh, probably the best left back in that division at that time. So we had a great a great squad. Uh, thankfully, I. I moved into a squad that was full of uh, full of ability, full of young ability, uh, because obviously in the end of that first year, a lot moved on. Stephen Fletcher, another one, yep. and moved on for big money to four or five different clubs. So uh, no, it was. I think it was a good mixture and a good, good blend in that dressing room at that time. Uh, you had the older ones. Uh, I was twenty six, but I was classed as one of the older ones. Uh, a bit more understanding, a bit more educated, uh, a bit more streetwise than these younger ones who cause chaos. Uh, but it was, a, it was a good blend, it was a good mix. And uh, the lads were all there for one aim and one aim only to, is to, to progress the, the football club as we did, uh, but also to progress our careers as we have. In terms of two players in particular, Scott Brown and Kevin Thompson, they went on to be the sort of two main midfielders in Scotland. Um, in, in the years to come. Could you tell from working with them early on that they were going to go on to have careers at a top level? Well, they were very good friends. Uh, they were very close. and I, uh, I think there was three or four of them in a group. I think Geordie was one of them too, the young, young, young boy, uh, who, was, who was really close with each other. And yeah, you could see it straight away. Uh, they had a focus and a drive, uh, very different to some of the other young boys. Uh, I think both knew exactly what they wanted. Uh, they both knew how to get to where they wanted to be. Uh, and when they played alongside each other, they complemented each other extremely well. Uh, I wasn't so sure uh, what how it would pan out when one went to Rangers, one went to Celtic. Uh, but what it did, I think they're still close, quite close now. So, uh, no, you, when you go into a dressing room, you very quickly get to understand and see who the characters are, who the best players are, who the driven ones are, uh, who the followers are and who the leaders are. And Scott Brown was a was a leader, uh, as you as you will can see now. He's a he's a captain of Celtic, uh, lifts trophies continuously, uh, and and drives the, the football club forward. So Scott uh, was one of the main characters in that dressing room at that time. 
talk me through the League Cup run, obviously beating Hearts, beating St Johnston and then semis and then Kilmarnock in the final. What was it like? Because it's always a final that will be remembered for the sheer emphatic way that you won the final and obviously you got yourself a goal as well. Yeah, uh, we'll start with Hearts, obviously the 1-0 in the midweek game. Uh, thankfully, I, I got the goal. Uh, great control, six yards out and a little, a little right foot volley, which doesn't happen very often. Uh, no, it's, cup runs are great uh, because it can, it can take that momentum into, into your league. Uh, but also sometimes when the league's not going particularly well, it gives you that other added factor and something else to focus on. But uh, no, the, the, the Hearts game was a typical derby. Uh, very tight, very close. Uh, thankfully, we came out on top that evening. Uh, and then we moved on to St. Johnson. St. Johnson was a tough game. Tough game. We went into the league quite, uh, quite early on uh, and we were controlling. But then St. Johnson obviously came back with a, with a header late on. Uh, and then David Murphy steps up with a free kick. So, uh, no, it was, like I said before, it was a group in the dressing room that, that were desperate to do well and desperate to kick on and desperate to move on. And I think that was epitomised by uh, the, the St. Johnson game late on. In terms of the St. Johnson game, as you've said, the fact it goes to, to extra time, it's, it's David Murphy gets a goal, then Benjamin wraps it up in the last minute. You get to the final against Kilmarnock. What were you feeling like going into that final and how did John Collins manage the team going into that? Uh, again, it's very difficult to... I think you just go into it as just another game. And it's it's tough uh, trying to focus yourself on that 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 uh, mindset because you've got young players, first ever cup final for most young players, first cup final for me. Uh, so it's it's quite difficult sometimes to try and dampen those emotions and and focus on the, the one thing. But no, the the lead up was just a normal lead up. Uh, everything was just as it as it would be for a normal league game, uh, which which helped enormously. Uh, I think. I've said it on, on record before, it was, it's the only game I've never felt nervous in my whole career, uh, which is quite scary to when you reflect on it. It's, one of the, it's the biggest game I've ever played in at, at that point, and I wasn't nervous at all. Uh, I was emotional in the tunnel, because uh, when you walk out and there's that many people there to support you as a, as a player and as a, and a, and a captain as a, and, a, and a club, it's just incredible. I think the the... the the overawing factor of, of how proud it makes you feel uh, got to me a little bit. Uh, but that was the only emotion, really. Um, as I reflect, we, did, we didn't start the game very well. I think Murph threw the ball at me and I kicked it out for a throw, and I think uh, five yards, five, five yards for, for the, up the pitch. So it didn't start really well. Uh, but no, it's, it, I think every player on that, on that day played their part over and above and beyond the expectation. And to win 5-1 Cup final doesn't happen every day. Uh, and for us, in the manner and the way that we did it and the goals that we scored in, in that game, it epitomised, again, the dress room that we had. Absolutely. And you mentioned the fact it's an emphatic victory. We talk, You mentioned the fact that with the captaincy there, obviously Kevin Thompson moved on, you become the captain. Just how proud were you to, first of all, become the captain of Hibs and then captain them to a major trophy? Well, like I, like I said before, the, there are, in, in every environment, there are leaders and there are followers. And I ain't a follower. I never have been and I never will be. 
given the captaincy for what is a, a, a such a prestigious club is is a monumental feat. Uh, I've never shied away from the fact that I love being the captain of the club that I play for. Uh, that armband does something to me that I can't explain. Uh, you put it on and it, and it changes you. Somehow, in some way, it just changes you. And uh, I've always been very proud of captaining not just him, but every club I've played for at some point along the way. So it's just, for me, uh, I think because of the stature that I am, the way that I look sometimes with the broken nose and the, and the, the, the bald head and the scars all over my face, I think sometimes... People take you a little bit literally in a little bit the wrong way, but uh, people follow you if they want to follow you. Uh, people don't want to follow you, they won't. They won't. And thankfully for my career, I think the, the personality that I had, not just on the pitch, but off the pitch too, allowed me to help and, and support others in and around me. Absolutely. And winning the major trophy as a captain, something that doesn't happen every day, especially even though Hibs are a big club, it doesn't happen every day for Hibs. I have to ask you about John Collins. Obviously, he finished sixth that season, you win the cup. You go into the next season, John Collins leaves the club. Many players have been on record over the years as saying, obviously, he was a great player in this day, but they just felt his man management maybe in the end let him down, especially with the fitness element, trying to sort of prove his worth rather than maybe help the guys progress. What was that like and what was he like to work with? Well, John came in, uh, obviously, by the, having the career that he, he had, not just in Scotland, but in England and, and in France. Uh, so he came with a, a, an enormous pedigree uh, of a playing, playing side. I think uh, a lot of players are still pining for Tony Mowbray, if I'm being brutally honest. Uh, Tony being the father figure for, for many for, for quite some time. Uh, so I think that had a, had a factor to it. Uh, but... Sometimes football doesn't take you down a path that you want to go go down sometimes. Uh, and like you, you know as well as I do, football is full of opinions. Uh, and we go back to, to leaders and followers. Some, some people don't want to follow it, particular individuals, uh, some, and some do. And uh, that's just the way probably I can categorise that situation at that time. No, definitely. And it's one of those ones where it's well documented that, as you've said, leaders and followers, and for whatever reason, John didn't have the followers as such, kind of widespread, and ended up leaving the club to be replaced by Mixu Patalainen, a, a, a guy who was a big player for Hibs back in the day. What was he like to work with? I imagine a different character to John Collins. He seems quite laid back, but at the same time, somebody that can go over the edge quite quickly too. Oh, yeah, he had that switch. Uh, no question about it but he was a good guy he was great with me he was I think in the whole time that I was there I think we had one ding dong uh, which is quite it's quite placid for me uh, if you ask people who, who know me quite well uh, I think it was over a Celtic game I think I'd just come back from injury uh, and I think he he'd gone with somebody else and so we had a we had a bit of a ding dong uh, over that but <laughs> No, it's just what it, it is. It was what it was. But no, what a great guy! Uh, very passionate, uh, very decisive. Knew exactly what he wanted to do. He's obviously now gone on to to be the Hong Kong international manager. Uh, so I wish him very well with that. But no, he, when you've got a legend, a Hibs legend such as as Mixu was uh, coming into the club, there's always a. 
there's always a great starting point for for that. Uh, but I think the masterstroke for him was the masterstroke for him was Mixu Patalite, uh, Mixu bringing in uh, Donald Park. Donald Park was uh, his guide, stroke. His uh, guide, stroke, mentor, because uh, obviously Don's been there and done it before. Uh, let me just try and. Sue there, um, having the switch, the ding dong with the Celtic game, and you were just going on to talk about Donald Parks, just how important was he for Mixu as well? Oh, Donald is brilliant, and uh, Donald's someone I speak to quite often. Uh, obviously, I, I go up to, to Scotland to do my coaching badges, uh, and obviously Donald's been part of the SFA education side of it, and he's been invaluable to me. Uh, he's helped me, he's guided me, uh, and been a bit of a mentor to me, as he was to, to Mixu. Uh, Donald uh, was more or less Mixu's mentor, and it was a great decision by, by Mixu to bring, bring Donald in. He's been there, done it, gone through every different scenario possible. Uh, and he, and I think if you speak to Mixu, uh, Donald was invaluable to him, as he has been to me. Uh, so, no, I, I think the, the pair of them worked extremely well together. Uh, the, the group was warming to both. Uh, Donald very, very sharp and very witty uh, with his with his banter. Where Mixu was very, very serious and uh, and, and and controlled that way, but. Uh, they, they bounced off each other really well. Uh, you had Gareth Evans there as well as the, as the first team coach, so it was good for for that mixture uh, within our dressing room. Absolutely, a character Donald Park, who's well respected as you know up here. And I've got to ask you the obvious question: You were linked with a move to to Leeds United um, during your time at Hibs, especially after the successful first season that you had. Was that move ever close? And is that a move ultimately you look back on? Gutted that it didn't go through. Uh, the Leeds one with Dennis Wise. Uh, again, you, you hear this and that and the other, and he said this, and he, that that's how much it's going to cost, and this and that. And Mr. Pepe said no, then Mr. Pepe said yes, and you hear all sorts of different uh, communications. Uh, and and that, the Leeds one never really got really got close. Uh, I think uh, discussion between. Uh, Leeds and my agent at the time uh, had taken place, but it never really got off the ground. Uh, I think uh, what they were persuaded to be offering wouldn't have got anywhere near what uh, the club would would uh, would feel sufficient for for my services. So that one never got never got close. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I think the one that got the closest was Nottingham Forest. That was in in the January. It came late, late in the January uh, with Billy Davis. Uh, that one got a lot closer, a uh, lot more deliberation with the with the two clubs in that in that point of view. But again, uh, Mick Sue and and Mr. Petrie at, at that point uh, both said not for sale at this point in time. Uh, I was too invaluable to the football club at that point, so it just didn't it didn't accumulate. Being a player who was playing really well for Hibs, captain in the club, was there ever interest in you from Celtic or Rangers during your time in Scotland? 
again, I heard a rumour that, that Celtic were interested after the first year, but it's just sometimes a lot of it's just paper talking, filming a, a blank blank piece of paper. Uh, it's That's something that never ever came to the fore, uh, never ever got past the rumourville, I don't think. Uh, but Rangers, I didn't hear anything from Rangers at all. Uh, there was nothing from that that side of it, uh, but the Celtic thing there was there was the rumour bill, but nothing with any real substance to it. Well, as I say, we, we talked about the Leeds move there. We talked about the the rumoured interest from Celtic. You you continued at Hibs. You played well. Colchester showed an interest in you. But the club that you ultimately left Hibs for was Scunthorpe, who had who got to the Championship. Before we talk about Scunthorpe, how do you reflect overall on your time at Hibs? Because I noticed there was a poll in the sort of last week about the best Hibs players over the last 20 years, and you were in the squad at centre-half, so you're clearly still highly regarded by the fans. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, you look back on, on your, your time at football clubs, and you can't really look back on, on your time until you've actually retired and had time to reflect. Uh, I'm still reflecting now on on the different scenarios and the different clubs and the, and what happened here and what happened there. So you you find yourself, especially now when in this lockdown, you find yourself wandering off and daydreaming about different things and what you've actually achieved, what you didn't achieve, what you would have done differently, and all that sort of stuff. So uh, no, I think the first year couldn't have gone any better, really. Uh, I think was it nine? I think it was nine goal nine goals. Uh, I played in Europe at the beginning of the season. Uh, the trophy uh, as the captain first time in 16 years so it, the first year couldn't have gone any better second year was difficult second, second year was really difficult uh, I struggled I don't know why I struggled but I did struggle uh, I didn't score a goal that season that's not not like me uh, and uh, performances were erratic they were up and down I don't know whether uh, I had a little bit of burnout from the year before obviously having very little pre-season to try and recuperate, uh, but it didn't go according to plan. And I could, I could have down tools and, and try to disappear at that point, but that's not the character that I am, and not the not the way I do things. In the third year, again, I got player of the season the third year, so I'd bounced back extremely well in that third year. Uh, obviously, people in and around the the club talk about Colchester. They offered money with with Paul Lambert. Uh, Nottingham Forest offered money with Billy Davis. And obviously, inevitably, uh, I went to Scunthorpe the, in the pre-season. But uh, there was there's a few more in the in the room of all there. And uh, I was playing I was playing well that year. I, I knew I was playing well. Uh, I think uh, everything at that point had, had clicked uh, after the second year of, of personal disappointment. Really, uh, as a footballer, you, you do try and want to move on and progress each year, but unfortunately, that doesn't happen all the time. So it's about regrouping and and being mentally tough and mentally strong and, and, and trying to push yourself forward again. In terms of Scunthorpe, it was a club record fee for them at the time. Nigel Atkins was was the manager. What was it like? What did he say to convince you to go to Scunthorpe? Because as you say, you're linked with clubs including Forest, Swansea and Derby. Well, at that point, uh, it was a, a conscious effort to play in the Championship. Uh, I'd not played in the Championship before. Uh, it was a new new opportunity for me to go and pit myself against some of the best players in Europe uh, in, in, in the championship. Uh, and you know, he, he, he sold the club really well to me. He sold himself really well. Uh, nice down-to-earth character. Wanted, knew how to play, how want, he wanted to play, how I fitted in. 
uh, it massaged my ego a little bit along the way. Uh, but inevitably, it was it had to be my decision. Uh, and I think looking back, was the decision to to go there the right one? I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm being brutally honest. I'm not so sure. It was uh, it was a difficult dressing room to to be in. Uh, I found it, even though that I'm a big character and a, a captain debut club I played for, it was a v- very difficult dressing room to be in. Uh, the majority of the players have been there since League Two, League One, got promoted to League One. Uh, and here comes this guy from Scotland, uh, ch- uh, all time record uh, fee paid for. Obviously, along with that, you, you, you fee, you get your weekly wage. Uh, along with that, he makes me captain after three three games, which Looking back in hindsight, was was probably a, a massive mistake from both parties. Uh, so it was it was a very difficult and very tough year that year. Uh, and again, we go back to the second year at Hibs uh, and the, the the mindset from Stockport when Sammy McElroy more or less closed the door on on my career there. Uh, you've got to dig deep and find out find from it inside. Uh, the character that's in there and and try and overcome these these kinds of things because the second year I started the season quite well I think I played the first 14-15 games before Nigel went to Southampton uh, and, I, and I played I played well in, in those games uh, it was common knowledge that uh, Rob Jones was like a different player second year from the first which was which is true which is true uh, but I think there was a lot of outside parameters, outside goings on uh, that in that that club at that time that didn't really didn't really fit me. Absolutely, and one of the players I want to ask you about from Scunthorpe was a young Gary Hooper. He was the top scorer in that first season. How good was he as a finisher? No, terrific, terrific. Uh, I'd actually had a conversation with Neil Lennon when he when he, before he took him up to to Celtic from from Scunthorpe uh, and. You know, he was he was the ultimate finisher at, at that point. Uh, low centre of gravity, no real backlift, left foot, right foot, uh, great anticipation, uh, quick, powerful. Uh, he, he had everything that he needed to be <clears throat> to be successful at Celtic, uh, not just in the league itself, but he, play, he played in Europe and played very very well, scored some very uh, important goals, uh, and you know, you could. Like you said before, you, you go into the dressing room, even though the dressing room was difficult for me at, at that point, uh, you, you get to know and you get to see good players uh, and how far these players actually move on and he was, he was one of them. You talked about the fact that Rob Jones was a different player in the second season at Scunthorpe. See when Sheffield Wednesday came in for you, is that the dream move where you think, right, I need to go? Well, I was I was always already on the fringes at that point. Uh, obviously, Nigel went in, uh, went to Southampton. The new manager came in. Uh, I think they wanted to trim the the wage bill a little bit, and I was probably the the main beacon to to try and get try and get rid of at that point. Uh, we'd had a few ding dongs myself and and the manager at the time, uh, more than me and Mixu. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I, regards of of how you how well you're doing in that season or where you'll fit yourself in in that team in that squad what's happened to you the there's always the premise that or oh, get out get me out as quick as possible but it has to be the right place at the right time with the right people 
Uh, I'm sure there's many people out there just jumped at the first one and realized when they got there that it was the wrong one. Uh, for me, I remember it vividly. I was, I was playing golf uh, at that point. I think it was a Wednesday. Yeah, it was a Wednesday I was playing golf when I got a phone call from the agent that Chris Evans had been on the phone. At that point, I didn't know who Chris Evans was. The only Chris Evans I knew was the radio DJ. <laughs> so at that point, it was, it was quite difficult to, to comprehend. But uh, that moved quite quickly. Uh, I, I think I, I didn't even finish the, the round. Obviously, being a Sheffield Wednesday fan all my life, uh, I'd have walked there. But thankfully, my car was in the car park and we, we got back to the house, got rid of what I needed to get rid of. And then I spent the evening at Sheffield, Sheffield uh, organising the, the loan deal, which it was to start with, uh, which was, was great. Went in the next day, trained the next day. And then, ironically, I played against uh, Nigel Atkins in Southampton in uh, my first ever game. See, see, as a Sheffield Wednesday fan, see when you sign for them and you get to make your debut at Hillsborough, how special a moment is that in your career and for your family as well? Oh, it's just, uh, words cannot comprehend what, what it actually means to you. Uh, you've, you've sat in that stand since you were a young kid. Uh, well, sorry, you stood in that stand as a young kid, uh, wanting to get on the pitch and play in that environment and that atmosphere for that club and wear that, that shirt. Uh, the biggest thing for me was when I I went in the dressing room and I was sat on my own because I was early, uh, doing medical and all that sort of stuff. And I just felt myself looking around thinking, where did Dave Hurst sit? Where did Carlton Palmer sit? Where did, where did Rule Nielsen sit? Uh, where did Nigel Pearson sit? Uh, and it's quite surreal, the fact that you're actually in the same place as these people have done, well, walked in day in, day out. Uh, and then obviously, obviously, Getting to walk out at Hillsborough, uh, I think it was a it was a Tuesday night. Uh, uh, it's just it was just immense. And then from there, he he played. Yeah, I think he scored me my first goal up at the cup end, which is was magnificent. I captained them from the second season onwards when I, I went full time uh, permanent there. Uh, and then obviously undefeated in the derbies, two two at their place and one another hours. So. No, it's just, you, you, sometimes you, you, have, you dream about different scenarios, different situations. You, I dreamed about playing the cup final and scoring and lifting the cup. I managed to do that. I dreamed about being a footballer first and foremost. I managed to do that. And then your dream is about to play for, for Sheffield Wednesday and scoring the, in the cup, cup in. Uh, and I, I managed to do that. So uh, it's a very humbling experience when you try and reflect and look back at what you've actually achieved. Uh, in such a short space of time, uh, but no, it's it's something that will live with me for forever and a day. You talked about the derbies there, so obvious question to ask you: What was it like playing in the Edinburgh derby, and also what was it like playing in the Sheffield derby as well? Both were were very very difficult weeks building up to it. Uh, obviously, uh, both times I lived in and around the area. So you had Hibs fans on one side, Hearts fans on the other side. Uh, some of them were friends. Uh, you got along with some of them. My family, uh, majority of my mum's side of the family is several Wednesday fans. So you knew really what it meant to, to them as supporters, even though you support yourself. You've got to try and detach yourself from that scenario and that situation because you've got a job to do. You're a footballer first and foremost, and that's your job. Uh, so you've got to try and take that emotional 
side out of it. But both were, they were I don't think I ever played in a really good derby football wise. I think derbies are just a fight, a scrap, uh, euphoric at times, uh, very draining mentally, very draining physically. And you don't really take in uh, what you would if you were a supporter. Uh, but the build-up is the main thing. Uh, you try and take away from, from everything because it's in every newspaper, it's on every billboard, uh, to all people are talking about. So the, 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 the two derbies are quite similar. Uh, obviously, the two clubs, uh, the stadiums are not too uh, far away from each other, uh, as the Sheffield and the, the Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. Uh, so... The build-up is more or less roughly the same, but uh, from a point of view, of, from a player's point, player's side, uh, you've got to try and distance yourself from it all, which is difficult. It is difficult uh, on both sides. It's, it's difficult to try and distance yourself, but uh, derbies are just ferocious, uh, and both of them were were incredibly ferocious at times. Who were the big characters at Sheffield Wednesday? Because there were some really good players there. Obviously, Mikel Antonio, who we know from West Ham, had the loan spell there. You, yourself, there was David Prutton. Who were the big characters in and around the dressing room? And who were the ones that really impressed you with their ability? Nicky Weaver was the main character. <laughs> what a guy. What a guy. Uh, I cannot talk any any higher, more highly of that individual. He was, from the day I arrived, he was brilliant with me. Uh, Played in the Premier League, did what he did, what's not, uh, he could have passed me by, he's just been this guy that's on loan, but he was brilliant, embraced me, brought me into the group. Uh, Gary Medine, who I became, as he keeps saying, his father figure, uh, the centre forward. He's, he, was an, he was a different character to Nicky. Uh, Nicky, I speak to quite a bit. Uh, and uh, Sedge, Chris Sedgwick was another one that I got along with very, very well. Uh, really good guy, really experienced, really down to earth. Uh, I think footballers get this uh, aspersion cast over them that they're, they're not normal people, but I came across an awful lot of normal people. I came across a, a few idiots in my time uh, and a few big time Charlies I did, but uh, in that dressing room at that point, it was it was brilliant. And David Prutton, David Prutton was my uh, co-driver. So he was in Harrogate, I'm in Yarmouth, and in the end we ended up uh, car schooling together. And obviously he's gone on to have a, a fantastic career in the in the TV and with Sky. Uh, and he was probably the main character. He was a bit of a lunatic, perhaps. Uh He was funny, uh, he was very outspoken. Uh, some of the things that he got up to, I probably can't tell you right now. Uh, but no, he's. We were very close, me and Prutz. Uh we still speak every so often, but uh, he was he was the main joker, as I might put it, in a nice, nice calm way. One of the things I want to ask you about there, the championship in England, obviously, you get some players that are on good wages. Now, without naming names, I wouldn't ask you to name names. You mentioned the fact that you do get some big-time Charlies. What's that like in and around the training ground and in the dressing room? Is it just an attitude of... Um, of, of can, can you tell as a player that someone's not giving their best or they're just acting around? I think the, the biggest thing is the fact that these people think they're better than you are and they're more important than you are and the way they carry themselves and they strut rather than walk and uh, the mannerisms of things and the things that they speak about and it just doesn't sit very well with me. 
thankfully, when I was at Chiller Wednesday, I had Nicky Weaver, I had Prutz and I had Chris Sedgwick, three of the most down-to-earth guys you'll ever come across in all your life. So our conversations in the morning and afternoon were just normal conversations. Uh, some of them, you just don't want to get into that, that conversation with them. So uh, I have a five-second rule, and it's... <laughs> When I talk to people, that they just they look at me in in awe, or just fear. So if I don't like you in five seconds, I'm never going to like you, <laughs> regardless of what you do or what you say or how you are. And I've never been wrong in my whole life. Uh, and some people, I know, as soon as you walk in the room, whether we're going to get along or we're going to clash. And uh, these big time Charlies, we we don't get along. So uh, I just distance myself. I don't get involved in the conversations, the chat, uh, what's going on, the mannerisms. Uh, I just I associate myself and keep, put myself around people of like-minded ilk and uh, the, the people that, that, that I want to get along with. Uh, otherwise, it becomes very fractious and very difficult. And people might say, well, yeah, but you were the captain of the football club, so you're supposed to be there for everybody. Uh, I captain on a day-to-day basis, every individual, and I give every individual what he actually needs. So uh, that doesn't mean I have to have a conversation and a, a relationship with every individual. All, I, all I'm there to do is carry out what the manager wants me to do on the pitch, and that's it. Spot on. Um, how do you reflect on your time overall at Sheffield Wednesday? Um, as you say, boyhood club, working under Gary Megson, who was a big character, also managed in the Premier League with, with Bolton and others in, in years previous. What was it like overall? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, Gary Megson, uh, what a guy. He was another one of my kind of people who just said it how it was, did it how it was, did it his way uh, and was very forthright in what, in what he wanted and what he wanted to see. Uh, and you, you were under no illusion. Uh, if you didn't do what he wanted to do, you would be in serious trouble. So he was my kind of my kind of manager, my kind of guy. He could shout and he could scream, uh, but that was at the, at the right times and the right man in the right way. So... He was brilliant, but uh, like every young young footballer, the, the the pinnacle is playing for their boyhood team, and I got to do that. So there's no one in the in the world that would not have enjoyed every single second of that that scenario, and I was no different. What what in in the end when you leave Sheffield Wednesday, what tempts you to Doncaster Rovers? Is it the Dean Saunders effect? What is it that makes you want to go there? Uh. I got a phone call the night before we were to return for pre-season training on Wednesday. And the phone call was from the agent. The manager at that time, Dave Jones, had spoken to, to him and said, I'm free to leave the football club. Uh, why? He never rang me, I don't know. But uh, I got it through a third party, which obviously didn't go down too well on my point of view. But uh, I wasn't going to allow anything to, to mar my time at Sheffield Wednesday. So I could have stayed there and I could have sat in the reserves and picked up my money and got in Monday to Friday and just got on with it and stayed for another, I think it was 18 months I'd left on my contract. Just stayed and let it peter out and told everybody I'm still playing with Sheffield Wednesday, I'm a Sheffield Wednesday player, but that's not what I'm about. Uh, I wanted to play football. I came into this career to play football, whatever level that is, whatever that level is for, uh, is regardless, I wanted to play games because every Saturday that I missed, it's a Saturday I would never, ever get back. Uh, so for me, uh, I had a discussion with the manager uh, and there was a, 
not not a push, but a guide towards signing for a team in League One, uh, which wasn't Doncaster, and I didn't want to go. I had no interest in going. Uh, like I said earlier, I only I'll only move on to places that I think will benefit me and the football club as a pair, uh, and that was not a benefit to me, the football club or my family at that point in moment in time. And there was a bit of pressure there, uh, and people who know me. If you pressure me to do something, I do one of two things. I either dismiss or I flip the switch. And at that point, I flip the switch uh, and it didn't go down too well. Uh, but it is, football is what football is. Uh, and then obviously Doncaster came on. Uh, Doncaster being 35, 40 miles away from Sheffield. Uh, Doncaster just being relegated from the championship until the, into League One. Uh, wanting to get back up into the championship as quick as possible. I knew a few people from there. Uh, it fitted me. Uh, Dean Saunders, when I first met him, uh, actually I was in Portugal. Uh, I was in Portugal uh, on a, on a fitness, fitness thing on my, on my own. Uh, I'd spoke to him for about 35, 40 minutes on the phone and I knew straight away that this guy was, was the guy that I wanted to go and play for. So I met him when I, I came back and straight away we, we hit it off. Uh, another normal guy, another down-to-earth guy. Uh, so it was important that uh, I, I, that it was done at, at, at the right place at the right time. And, and thankfully, uh, Dean was great. Again, Dean straight away, you'll be the captain as, as soon as I came in. And, and that was it. And uh, season started off extremely well. A few concussions around, along the way, but it started off extremely well. Uh, Dean then went off to, on to Wolves. Uh, I got the, the players' manager's gig. And we won, we end up winning the league in the first, in the last game of the season. So uh, no, I mean, Sheffield Wednesday was magnificent for me, but I would not never ever have let myself sit there in the background and just pick up money because that's not the way I do things. Uh, I wanted to play, and thankfully Doncaster gave me the opportunity to play. Not only giving you the opportunity to play, but you mentioned the fact they give you the opportunity to coach and get get more hands on. Is that something that you were always keen to do? Yes, very much so. Uh, I finished my A licence before I retired, which is what I wanted to do. I've only, only had my pro licence to, to complete. Uh, but there, there was an article, I think, two weeks ago about Mikel Arteta, about he wasn't just a player on the pitch, but he was a coach. And I think every player that uh, I played with will probably say he was a bit of a coach on the pitch. Uh, told people what to do, how to do it, when to do it. Uh, and I was no different. Uh, I, I taught, sometimes taught players through the game uh, as, as well as doing my own job. So I think the fact that I'd, I'd been coaching in the background, uh, I had the 12 and the 12s at Grimsby, I had the 14s at Sheffield Wednesday, uh, I did the 23s at uh, Doncaster, I did a bit of 17s at, at Hibs, I did the 15s at Tartlepool when I went there. So I'd been coaching in the background right throughout my career. It wasn't just Rob Jones a player, but uh, I wanted to create something for, for when I actually retired. Uh, I didn't want to start my the next leg of, of, the, of the journey after I retired, uh, being in the classroom every day. So it was important that uh, I did more than just, just play. And I think that, excuse me, was a benefit for when I did take the job as a, as a player coach at, at uh, Doncaster at that time. And I've had this conversation about a few weeks ago. I inherited a very good group 
a very, very good group. That group that knew exactly what they were doing, uh, all with the same aim, all with the same focus. And every manager out there will, 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 will back me up this. It makes life so much easier. Absolutely. In terms of as any manager, as you've said, always says, even Guardiola and the likes, that when you've got a really good squad of players behind you, it does make the job easier. And, and you've said that from your perspective. Did you want the Doncaster job long term? I think uh, I think if we'd have stayed in League One and not gone up, there may well have been that possibility. I think the fact that we went into Championship and me playing the Championship hadn't gone according to plan, i.e. Fit, fitness-wise and uh, playing-wise. I wanted, and I had a conversation with the chairman at the time, I wanted to concentrate on playing in the Championship. Uh, and so the Championship is a completely different world to League One, completely different world to League One. It's just, it's just so intense, it's so fast, it's so physical, it's so demanding mentally and physically that to do both roles would be really tough, really tough. Uh, and then obviously I went to the Championship, I played the first 13 games and then I did my neck, which really started the demise of my, my playing career, to be honest. Uh, very scary, very, very scary. I lost all the feeling in my left arm for five, six days. Couldn't feel it as if someone had chopped it off. Uh, soul searching a little bit at that point. And then obviously I had the, the operation to, to fuse all the, the vertebrae together. Uh, five and a half, six months of rehab and knockbacks and then rehab and knockbacks. And uh, it was it was difficult at that, at that point in time to to see where where I was going to go from, from there. I got back. Uh, I got fit uh, and then I got injured again and once you get to my age as, as I was then and you start getting these little niggly injuries and then you return and then you get injuries again you return you get injuries again it's very difficult to try and get that momentum again and I think inevitably that was the, the main reason I, I said that's it the body's had, had far more than it needs to have taken and let me enjoy my, my, my the rest of my life with, with my wife and my kids you mentioned the injuries there that affect you towards the end at Doncaster. And then joining Hartley, pulling a contract to the end of the season in 2016. Was that just for you a chance to have give, give it another go? And looking back, is that a move you ultimately regret? Do you think you maybe should have just called it time after Doncaster? Or was it because, as you've said, every Saturday that you miss is a Saturday wasted? You just had that drive to say, no, I'm going to keep going. No, it was. I come. Out, I come away from Doncaster. Obviously, uh, Darren Ferguson got the job, uh, and at that point in time, there I was getting back to full fitness. Uh, I went in initially to Hartlepool just to train, to try and get that match sharpness back again. Uh, and then, obviously, Craig Hignett is a friend of a friend. He needed a centre half for that weekend. Uh, I said yes, that's fine, no problem. I, I played that weekend, sat at the end of the year, which is probably about three months. And I played very well that game. It was the Barnet away, 1-3-1. Uh, probably had one of my best games I'd, I'd, I'd had that, that season. So, no, I don't, I don't think it was me selfishly saying, right, let's have one final goal. Because if, if I, deep down, if I knew I couldn't do it anymore, I just wouldn't have done it. Uh, that didn't come until probably midway through the next season, when I knew... This was time. It was you'd done all you needed to do. You you cannot keep doing what you're doing anymore because, in, in, in essence, you're hurting yourself. 
and because you're doing and being a little bit selfish, you're hurting other people too. So it's it was time then that that I had to say right, let's let's put put a, a full stop at the end of this playing career and close the book and then let's move on to something else. In terms of moving on to something else, you've been doing a bit of coaching. Is man is management on your own right that the aim now long term for you and. Obviously, having been in Scotland with Hibs, would you consider a move back to Scotland in terms of being a manager or a coach? I would love to be a manager. I would love to be a manager. Uh, <clears throat> I've been away coach from the from the playing environment for three years coaching, but I've been coaching now since 2003, so I've had a lot, an awful lot of coaching uh, in me. Uh, the last three years have been invaluable to me because it's given me the opportunity to understand what kind of coach I am, how I want to play, what I want to play, what kind of styles, uh, the decisions I've got to make on and off the pitch. Uh, it's been it's been really good for me. But inevitably, yes, the, the main aim, the main target is to be a football manager. And just because I live in England now doesn't mean I'll never ever return to Scotland. Uh, I love my time in Scotland. My family love the time in Scotland. So if there's an opportunity and the right opportunity, I'm going back to my playing decisions again. If it was the right opportunity, right people, right place, right time, then yeah, most definitely. Most definitely. There has been a, a few little sniffs from up there. Nothing more than that uh, about a coaching role or, or a managerial role. Uh, but no, um, just because I live in the middle of middle of England doesn't mean I'm not going to travel, I'm not going to move on. If the right opportunity came along, yes, I, I would take it. And uh, I want to be a manager. If that never happens, then it doesn't happen. Uh, but it won't be from a, a want of trying and a want, and a want of, of desire uh, and application. Uh, because all through my football career, I've had to work extremely hard. I was never as gifted as every as, as many of the other footballers that were on the pitch with me. So I had to work hard and I had to go away and do the thing, the right thing, in the right place, at the right times. And I think to get yourself on the ladder as a, as a football manager now, it's it's really really tough and really hard to get yourself in front of these people that make the decisions. And uh, I'm now doing what I'm doing to try and get myself in the best best position possible to be, enable that to, to happen. In terms of the management and the coaching, I really do wish you all the best with the management because I think it'd be, I think something that I feel is a lot of the players who have played the game at a really high level, you want to see those guys like yourself get involved in the coaching side rather than get down the punditry side because Although I love listening to, to ex-players on the radio and, and the TV, you just look at you look at some of them and you think I always think the big example is Jamie Carragher. Always look at him on Sky and think, I just wish he'd have given management a go because you just want to see how they've got on and hopefully we can see you in management, as you've said, soon. And I'd just like to finish, Rob, with a round of quick-fire questions. First of all being, who were the best players you played with? Uh, best player, Scott Brown. Uh, are you still there? Um, best players you played against? Lionel Messi. Great answer. <laughs> There's no, there is no better answer out there. Uh, well, depends, depends if you're a Cristiano Ronaldo fan, but uh, the best player I've played against is Lionel Messi, which is which is my claim to fame, and my children love it. Love the fact <laughs> that they're against Lionel Messi. Who would you say was the best manager of your career? Now, that's a difficult question because they all have different positives and all have different negatives. Tony Mowbray was fantastic. The, the manner of the individual, uh, he just, the, the just the air of respect that you give him from day dot. Uh, 
And it's just uh, when he walks into a room, then you know he's actually there. Russell Slade was magnificent. Uh, <clears throat> Dean Saunders was brilliant. Gary Megson was brilliant. Uh, so I can't give you a definitive one. Uh, I think if you put all them in one collection, then you've probably got the best mess manager in the world. Uh, but uh, now there's three or four which were which were, were definitive to to how I coach and how I behave now. Who would you say was the most underrated player you played with? Oh, that's a difficult one. Most most underrated. Uh, let's come back to that one. Let's come back to it. Um, you mentioned your time at Hibs and the fact that you really enjoyed your time in Scotland. What would you say was your highlight of playing for Hibs other than the cup final? Because we know that's the pinnacle, but other than that, what would you say was your real highlight being at Hibs? The song. The song, <laughs> the, the song just follows me everywhere I go. Uh, and that's where the song was created. Uh, it's the song that when it comes on the on the radio or the TV, now you just cast your mind back to, to the times of at Hibs. Uh, and then obviously it moved on and it was uh, a Doncaster song as well after that because they they, they adopted it. Uh, Sheffield Wednesday adopted it to a, to a point. So the song was is something that will will, <laughs> will forever be there. Uh, and I think uh, every time I return to Hibs, the song is something that uh, you go through reception and straight away someone someone spots you and then that's the song starts to erupt which is which is very nice uh very very nice uh it was very difficult to start with when i couldn't really understand what they were actually singing until tam the kitman told me uh but uh no it was that was something that is ingrained in 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 rob jones now the last question i've got for you rob is you've talked about your playing career, you've talked about coaching, your ambitions for management. If you were still a player now and you could pick any manager in the world to play under, who would it be and why? Uh, I think I'd, I'd, I'd... It has to be Pep Guardiola, without any shadow of a doubt. Uh, obviously, we, we have the same hairstyle and the same beard, which is, which is great. He's a bit greyer than me. Uh, but just his mannerisms. Uh, I think his mannerisms are along the same lines. My mannerisms, he says how it is. If he doesn't answer a question, he won't answer a question. Uh, he'll be as blunt as he wants to be. He knows exactly where he wants to be. He knows exactly what he wants to do. Uh, if you don't do what he wants you to do, then we, we find it uh, very difficult to to process. But uh, no, I think Pep Guardiola would be the, the one for me, not just because he's, he's arguably the best manager in the world. For me, it's deeper than that. He knows exactly how he wants to play, how he wants to do things and how he wants to behave in his manners. And they all fit into to how I hopefully portray myself. Thank you, Rob. I just want to say that I've really enjoyed this. I think you're a player who I enjoyed watching up here in Scotland, and I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of Hibs fans will get the chance to listen to this because, as I say, I saw that poll just literally a couple of weeks ago and, and your name was there in the centre-halves of the team. So thank you for joining me. Oh, no, no. Absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll 
I'll be filled with song, I'll be filled with song.